Welcome to Frig Friday, featuring Sigrid Unset's Kristen Lovren's Daughter, read by Michelle Hammond, sponsored by Gal's Guide. Kristen Lovren's Daughter by Sigrid Unset Winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature Book One The Wreath Part Three Lovren's Bjorgolfsson Chapter Five Spring arrived abruptly. Several days after the frost broke, the village lay brown and black beneath the torrents of rain. Water rushed down the mountain slopes, and the river swelled and lay like a leaden-gray lake at the bottom of the valley, with small flooded groves at the edge of the water, and a sly gurgling furrow of current. At Jurengard the water reached far into the fields, and yet everywhere the damage was much less than people had feared. The spring farm work was late that year and everyone sowed their sparse seeds with prayers to God that he might spare them from the night frost until harvest time. And it looked as if he would heed their prayers and lighten their burden a little. June came with favorable weather, the summer was good, and everyone began to hope that in time the traces of the bad year would be erased. The hay harvesting was over, when one evening four men came riding toward Jurengard. Two gentlemen and their two servants, Sir Munan Bardson and Sir Bard Paterson of Hestness. Ronfred and Lafrens ordered the table to be set in the high loft and beds to be made up in the loft above the storehouse, but Lafrens asked the gentlemen to wait to set forth their purpose until the following day after they had rested from their journey. Sir Munan did most of the talking during the meal directing much of the conversation toward Kristen, speaking to her as if they were well acquainted. She noticed that her father was not pleased by this. Sir Munan was thick-set with a ruddy face, an ugly and garrulous man with a rather foolish manner. People called him Munan the Stump or Munan the Prancer. But in spite of the impression he made, Fru Asiel's son was still a sensible and capable man who had been the crown's envoy in several matters, and who doubtless had some influence on those who counseled the governance of the kingdom. He lived on his mother's ancestral property in the Skogheim district. He was quite wealthy, and he had made a rich marriage. Fru Katrin, his wife, was particularly ugly, and she seldom opened her mouth, but her husband always spoke of her as if she were the wisest of women. In jest, people called Fru Katrin the resourceful woman with the lovely voice. They seemed to get on well together and treated each other with affection, even though Sir Munan was notorious for his wayward behavior, both before and after his marriage. Sir Bard Paterson was a handsome and stately old man, although he was rather portly and heavy of limb. His hair and beard were somewhat faded now, but there was still as much gold in them as there was white. Ever since the death of King Magnus Hawkinson, he had lived quietly, managing his vast properties at Nordmuir. He was a widower after the death of his second wife, and he had many children who were all said to be handsome, well-mannered, and well-to-do. The following day, Lovrens and his guests went up to the loft to talk. 
Lovrens asked his wife to join them, but she refused. This must lie solely in your hands, said Ronfred. You know that it would be the greatest sorrow for our daughter if this matter could not be resolved. But I see that there is much to be said against this marriage. Sir Munon presented a letter from Erland Niklausen. Erland proposed that Lovren should decide on all of the conditions if he would agree to the betrothal of his daughter Kristen. Erland himself was willing to have his properties appraised and his income examined by impartial men, and to offer Kristen such betrothal and wedding gifts that she would own a third of his possessions, in addition to whatever she brought to the marriage herself, and all inheritances that she might acquire from her kinsmen if she should become a widow with no children surviving the father. Furthermore, he offered to allow Kristen to manage with full authority her part of the property, both that which she brought into the marriage and that which she was given by him. But if Lovrens preferred other conditions for the division of property, then Erland would be willing to hear his views and to act accordingly. There was only one condition to which Kristen's kinsmen would have to bind themselves. If they acquired guardianship over any children that he and she might have, they must never try to revoke the gifts that he had given to his children by Aline Orm's daughter. They must recognize as valid the claim that these properties had been separated from his possessions before he entered into the marriage with Kristen Lovren's daughter. Finally, Erland offered to hold the wedding with all appropriate splendor at his manor at Husaby. It was then Lovren's turn to speak, and he said, This is a handsome offer. I see that it is your kinsman's fervent desire to come to an agreement with me. I also realize that he has asked you, Sir Munon, for a second time to come on such an errand to me, a man of no great import outside this village, and a gentleman such as you, Sir Bard, to take the trouble to make this journey on his behalf. But now I must tell you, in regard to Erlon's offer, that my daughter has not been raised to manage properties and riches herself and I have always intended to give her to a man in whose hands I could confidently place the maiden's welfare. I don't know whether Kristen is capable of handling such responsibility or not, but I hardly think that she would thrive by doing so. She is placid and compliant in temperament. One of the reasons that I bore in mind when I opposed the marriage was this, that Erland has shown a certain imprudence in several areas. Had she been a domineering, bold, and headstrong woman, then the situation would have been quite different. Sir Monon burst out laughing and said, My dear Lovrens, are you complaining that the maiden is not headstrong enough? And Sir Bard said with a little smile, It seems to me that your daughter has demonstrated that she is not lacking in will. For two years she has stood by Erland in spite of your wishes. Lovrens said, I know that quite well, and yet I know what I'm talking about. It has been hard for her during the time she has defied me, and she won't be happy with a husband for long unless he can rule her. The devil take me, said Sir Munon. Then your daughter must be quite unlike all the women I have known, for I've never found a single one who didn't prefer to rule over both herself and her husband. Lovren shrugged his shoulders and didn't reply. Then Bard Paterson said, I can imagine, Lovrens Bjorgelsen, that now you are even less in favor of this marriage between your daughter and my foster son, since the woman he was with came to such an end. 
But you should know that it has now come to light that the wretched woman had let herself be seduced by another man, the foreman of Erland's farm at Husaby. Erland knew about this when he journeyed with her through the valley. He had offered to provide her with a proper dowry if the man would marry her. Are you sure this is true? asked Lovrens. And yet I don't know whether it makes the situation any better. It must be bitter for a woman of good family to arrive on the arm of the landowner, only to leave with the farmhand. Munan Bardson put in, I see, Lovrens Bjorgelfsson, that your strongest objection to my cousin is that he has had this unfortunate trouble with Sigurd Saxelsson's wife. And it's true that it was ill-advised. But in the name of God, man, you must remember. There he was, a young boy in the same house with a young and beautiful wife. And she had a cold and useless old husband. And the nights last half the year up there. I don't think much else could have been expected, unless Erland had actually been a holy man. It can't be denied that Erland has never had any monk flesh in him. But I don't imagine that your lovely young daughter would be grateful if you gave her to a monk. It's true that Erland conducted himself foolishly, and even worse, later on. But this matter must finally be considered closed. We, his kinsmen, have striven to help set the boy on his feet again. The woman is dead, and Erland has done everything within his power for her body and soul. The Bishop of Oslo himself has redeemed him from his sin, and now he has come home, cleansed by the holy blood in Schwerin. Do you intend to be harsher than the Bishop of Oslo, and the Archbishop, or whoever it is down there, who presides over the precious blood? My dear Lovrens, it's true that pure living is an admirable thing, but it's hardly within the powers of a grown man unless he is particularly blessed by God. By Saint Olaf! You should keep in mind that the Holy King himself was not given that blessing until the end of his life on earth. It was evidently God's will that he should first produce the capable boy King Manius, who repelled the heathen's invasion of the north. King Olaf did not have that son by his queen, and yet he sits among the highest of saints in heaven. Yes, I can see that you think this improper talk. Sir Bard interrupted. Lovrens Bjorkovsen. I didn't like this matter any better than you when Erland first came to me and said that he had set his heart on a maiden who was betrothed. But I have since realized that there is such a strong love between these two young people. It would be a great sin to separate their affections. Erland was with me at the Christmas feast that King Hakon held for his men. That's where they met, and as soon as they saw each other, your daughter fainted and lay as if dead for a long time and I could see that my foster son would rather lose his own life than lose her. Lovren sat in silence for a moment before he replied. Yes, that sort of thing sounds so beautiful when we hear it in a courtly tale from the southern lands. But we are not in Bretland, and surely you would demand more of a man you intend to take as a son-in-law than that he had made your daughter swoon with love before everyone's eyes. The other two didn't speak, and then Lovrens continued. I think, good sirs, that if Erlon Niklausen had not so greatly diminished both his property and his reputation, then you would not be sitting here asking so earnestly for a man of my circumstances to give my daughter to him. But I won't have it said about Kristen that she was honored by coming to Husaby through marriage to a man belonging to this country's best lineage, after that man had disgraced himself so badly 
that he could neither expect a better match nor maintain his family's distinction. He stood up abruptly and paced back and forth across the floor. But Sir Munon jumped up. No, Lovrens. If you're going to talk about bringing shame upon oneself, then by God you should know that you're being much too proud. Sir Bard cut him off. He went over to Lovrens and said, And proud you are, Lovrens. You're like those landowners in the past we've heard about, who refused to accept titles from the kings because their sense of pride could not tolerate hearing people say that they owed anything to anyone but themselves. I must tell you that if Erland had possessed all the honor and wealth that the boy was born with, I would still not consider it disparaging to myself when I asked a man of good lineage and good circumstances to give his daughter to my foster son, if I could see that it would break the hearts of these two young people to be kept apart. Especially, he said softly, placing his hand on the other man's shoulder, if things were such that it was best for the health of both their souls if they were allowed to marry. Lovren shook off Bard's hand. His face grew stony and cold. I don't know what you mean, sir. The two men looked at each other for a moment. Then Sir Bard said, I mean that Erland has told me that they have sworn themselves to each other with the most solemn of oaths. Perhaps you think you have the authority to release your child, since she has sworn without your consent. But you cannot release Erland, and I can't say that there is anything standing in the way except your pride and your abhorrence of sin. But in this, it seems to me that you wish to be harsher than God himself, Lovrens Björkelsen. Lovrens answered somewhat uncertainly. You may be right in what you say, Sir Bard, but I have mainly opposed this marriage because Erland seemed to me an unreliable man to whom I would not want to entrust my daughter. I think I can vouch for my foster son now, said Bard in a subdued tone of voice. He loves Kristen so much that if you give her to him, I am convinced he will conduct himself in such a manner that you will have no cause to complain of your son-in-law. Lovrens didn't reply at once. Then Sir Bard said imploringly, holding out his hand, In God's name, Lovrens Björgelsen, give your consent. Lovrens gave his hand to Sir Bard. In God's name. Ronfred and Kristen were called to the loft, and Lovrens told them of his decision. Sir Bard graciously greeted the two women. Sir Munon shook Ronfred's hand and spoke courteously to her, but he greeted Kristen in the foreign manner with kisses, and he took his time about it. Kristen noticed that her father was looking at her as he did this. How do you like your new kinsman, Sir Munon? he asked with derision when he was alone with her for a moment that evening. Kristen gave her father an imploring look. Then he stroked her face several times and said nothing more. When Sir Bard and Sir Munon had gone to bed, the latter said, What I wouldn't give to see the face of this Lovrens Björgelsen if he ever learned the truth about his precious daughter. Here you and I had to beg on our knees for Erlon to win a woman as his wife, whom he has had with him up at Brynhild's Inn so many times. You keep quiet about that, replied Sir Bard bitterly. It was the worst thing Erland could have done when he enticed the child to such a place, and never let Lovrens get a word of this. It will be best for everyone if those two can be friends.
It was agreed that the betrothal celebration would be held that same autumn. Lavrin said that he could not offer a grand banquet because the previous year had been so bad in the valley. But he would, on the other hand, host the wedding and hold it at Jurengard with all appropriate splendor. He mentioned again the bad year as his reason for demanding that the betrothal period should last a year.